0: Hi, and welcome to the Sheep Show podcast dedicated to all things ovine. Thank you for joining me. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud and your host. This is your podcast to learn more, know more, and achieve more when it comes to shepherding. Come with me as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. It's so hard to believe that we're nearly back around on that sheep cycle again and we're into i suppose pre-lambing really well pre preparation for for lambing and I thought in this episode of the Sheep Show podcast we might have a look at that how do we manage pregnancy in ewes to get the best results for all our hard earned efforts that we've gone to over the last couple of months so it's interesting to look at what is the, the biggest impact, what really plays the biggest impact, and when do these different things sort of interplay, I suppose, in managing our our you health. And really, it's it's about trying to understand the different trimesters of pregnancy in news and what happens at different trimesters. And once you understand that, you can start to understand what we really need to play with and what we really need to sort of manage, if you like. So nutrition obviously plays a huge part and it impacts at two different levels in the pregnancy life cycle. And these two levels really are about the placenta growth and the development of the fetus or fetal growth and fetal development. And poor nutrition can really play the biggest impact on those two elements, but at different stages of the, the cycle, I suppose, and the, the, the pregnancy cycle. So in the first 50 days or so of pregnancy, the, plus, the placenta growth is happening. So what we need to really think about here is making sure that there are, I suppose, no restrictions or negative impacts in the nutrition of that you. Think back to some of our earlier podcasts where we looked at condition score. Obviously, we want to try and get our use condition score. High, if we can get it close to three, that would be ideal. That's going to obviously help her ovulate and help her conceive in the first place. It's also much easier for us to maintain condition than to increase condition. So, if we want to try and get that, and of course, that's going to help, then you've got to think about managing your pasture. And we'll be having some conversations over the next couple of months about that and how we can, I suppose, prepare pasture, what pasture, what pasture paddocks you might need for pre-lamming, during lambing, and after lambing as well. But we'll come to that. So placenta growth, first 50 days, and really fetal growth is minuscule in those early, early days. Then from mid-pregnancy, so this would be sort of day 50 of the, of the pregnancy cycle to day 100, we're having rapid placenta growth and still, again, minimal fetal growth. It's not until we reach day 100 to 150 where we see the placenta has finished growing and then the growth of the fetus really rapidly increases. Now it's quite significant the the amount of fetal development that actually happens in that in that last sort of 50 days. And this is where we really need to make sure that the the nutrition of our you mid pregnancy is adequate because if it's not what we're going to have is reduction in the size and the function of the placenta, uh, and then obviously reduction in the growth rate and the size of the fetus. And those two things are going to have an impact on um, on what happens and, and, and what goes on, particularly in these early stages. If you've ever had lambs born where you've got one big one, one small one, yeah, that's telling you that something has happened, particularly in the earlier stages of pregnancy, So in these first sort of two trimesters, that's where stuff like that happens. So if you were to get that, I don't know, one year we had that quite a lot and that sort of worried me a little bit and investigation and chatting to people worked out that really it's about what inadequate nutrition paddocks, feed that, that you actually had during those first two trimesters. So we want to try and keep things as, as a rising plane or as even as possible without having any sort of restrictions or any sort of challenges throughout that, um, that cycle. It's also interesting to, to look at if you do look at wool production in your lambs, it's actually affected by you nutrition during pregnancy as well so what you have is you've got these broad fibers or follicles that develop around about day 60 of pregnancy and they're completed at about day 90 after conception and that's in that growing um, fetus so the sort of primary or um, broad follicles and then we have some finer fibers or secondary follicles they develop from day 90 um, to birth uh, and then you have some maturity of that wool follicle in the first month of the lamb's life as well the density of the follicle is determined prior to birth and will not change across that life uh, life of the animals that's really interesting if you are focusing in on those those uh, wool aspects and wool factors of uh, of growing sheep uh, as well, and of course, for for you're really looking there at the density and the fine and the fineness of the fleece there of your, of your wool. And any reduction in nutrient supply in that developing fetus. So we're talking about again, those latter days from day hundred to day hundred and fifty. Then that is going to impact your uh, your your wool and the type of wool that you might get. The in um in your animal so huge impact that nutrition can actually have so really we're looking at feed and management during that sort of initial first trimester second trimester and definitely in that late trimester as well and we'll come to that in terms of the impact that that can actually have because that's a a whole other ballgame because what happens in that last trimester about 70 percent of the fetal growth actually happens in that last four to six weeks. And most, if not all, of the u's udder growth, so mammary growth, is actually occurring in that period as well. Also, you might you might be aware of the fact that as the fetus, or the multiples, grow in that u, her rumen capacity is decreased. So basically, she has less udder space to actually manage, and that will mean that the density of the nutrients in her diet needs to be increased. So really, we're talking about quality here, not quantity. We want to increase the quality of the food because of the lack of space. So think about it. If you have a ewe in the first and second trimester of pregnancy eating grass, just normal pasture and grass, it's a lot of grass and a lot of rumen capacity taken up. In that final trimester, that's a bit more challenging for you. So this is where we've got to think about increasing that density, which means increasing the quality of grass, increasing the diversity or variety of pasture or grass, or supplementing that you with something else that has higher nutrients, so nutrient-dense diet. And that, of course, really will help that fetal growth, and in particular, if there are multiple fetuses, involved in um, in your in your shape and and for most of us that's a normal thing to actually have multiples um, and and multiple births I know I just had some pregnancy scanning done over the last couple of weeks and what 131 ewes that I had pregnancy scanned I've got a bit more than that but they weren't ready to pregnancy scan but 131 ewes pregnancy scanned and I had 86 uh, twins and uh, I think ten or eleven triplets, and then twenty odd singles, and then some that either were empty or not quite sure yet, <laughs> um, because I still had my um, I still had my Rams out, which I shouldn't have, by the way, but I still had my Rams out. Let's have a quick just chat about about pregnancy scanning, and and I suppose the benefits there of of pregnancy scanning is my first time actually doing it it was really, really interesting. So I had an amazing pregnancy scanner come scan my use. It's so quick. It is incredibly quick. So we got through all the use in like 40 minutes, seriously. Um, and basically an ultrasound just under the otter or just down, down low on the otter. And then it shows up on the screen. Really interesting. And the, um, the scanner, uh, Person showed me on the screen that what they were looking for was bone. So they're looking for evidence of bone. So whiteness in inside showing up on the ultra on the ultrasound on the scan determines the um, the uh, multiples or singles or whatever it might be, and that's what they're they're looking for. And in particular, they are looking at scanning. Somewhere between 40 or so days after the rams come out. So, we've got a five, let's say you've got a five week mating, or you might have a bit more, 40 to 60 days after the ram comes out. And the reason why you might want to scan probably two main reasons. One is to identify the twin bearing ewes or multiple bearing ewes, and the other would be identifying your, um, Empties, if you like, or dry use, and then you're using that to make decisions on what you're going to do, how you're going to manage those basically two flocks. For me, in particular, I really wanted to find out which ones were single. So for me, it's also another reason would be not just determining dry and, and twin bearing or, or triplet bearing, but also determining which ones are single because just talked about increasing the feed. The nutrient density of the feed now if we want to be more feed efficient and not overfeed, then that would make sense that those single bearing ewes need to be fed a little bit less if not a lot less than a twin or triplet bearing ewe. so for me that has been a challenge in the past in, you know increasing the feed in that final trimester and then ending up with single lambs that are like six and seven kilos which is too big it causes problems for me anyway. So I'm really wanting to to make those decisions and then separate into different classes. And again, when will I separate? I'm going to separate in this final trimester. So for me, one of the, the next activities on the sheep calendar will be vaccinating my ewes prior to pregnancy. So that will be in that last four to six weeks. And that's when I will increase the feed. And that's when I will take out my singles and manage them separately so they don't get as much uh, feed or additional feed. And why would we want to increase the feed? So going back to our, fi- our final trimester, why would we want to increase the-, the feed? Well, again, we want to make sure that the ewe is in better condition. Better condition ewe's in late pregnancy leads to better survival of lambs. We also want to make sure that, that those that fetal development is good because, of course, what impacts lamb survival is the weight of the lamb. So you want your lamb. It does depend on the breed. So bear that in mind, look at your breed standard and determine what size is going to be appropriate. But for us, listen, anywhere with three and a half to five and a half kilos. Yeah, that would be, that'd be perfect. So, you know, an average there four, four four and a half kilos is, is brilliant. And I, for me, I'm wanting, if there's twins, I want them very equal weight. If there's triplets, I want them very equal weight. I might've told you a story last year about one of my amazing ewes who had triplets and every single one of them was exactly the same weight. <laughs> you know, and actually quite a few of them were very similar. So I was having a lot of four and a half, five kilo triplets last year. That's huge for uh, for you uh, to, to produce. And that's exactly what we want. We really want to see that. Um, uh, and as my dad said to me recently, I was chatting to him because my brother has just finished lambing over in Ireland. He lambs quite late. Um, check out Andrew's podcast uh, episode if you haven't listened to, to Andrew talking about crossbreeding sheep in uh, in Ireland and, uh, and the UK. And um, my dad said to me, it's amazing how a ewe with two teats can feed three lambs, but a ewe with a dry udder, so say she's only got one teat, will struggle to feed one lamb. And I thought that is so amazing. It really gets us thinking that, you know, those, that mammary gland development, that ability to produce milk is so important. So even if she's just got one teat, it's it's obviously impacting her ability to feed even just one lamb. So again, checking your udder health um, and even I've been selling some joined ewes recently. It's just been like a, a bit of a revolving door here over the last couple of weeks with selling joined ewes. And every time they go out the the door, I check their udder. <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm confident that that you know as much as I possibly can be that that you going out has um, has a, a nice sort of fleshy udder. Uh, and, and the sort of order that I would keep in my flock, um, and I would be, you know, really confident that they would be able to feed uh, the, the the multiple lambs that they've all got when they when they all leave. So of course we want to get that extra feeding, but then we also want to get that good husbandry as well. So trying to reduce the stress on the animal, trying to make sure, particularly, you know, that those animals don't have to run uh, in that last trimester. Why? Well it's not really good for them it's good for them to be fit bear that in mind it's really good for them to be fit but you don't want them running particularly running uphill or downhill because that can cause the um the prolapses and you might remember me talking about prolapses last year so we obviously don't want to do want to have those prolapses whether it's a vaginal or uterine prolapse we want to avoid those uh, those things because it's just not it's not much fun to have to deal with one of those uh as well so Really wanting to increase that um, that level. And the level of nutrients does as well, of course, bear on the uh, age and the weight of the you. So what condition is that you in? That's something for you to think about when you're starting to think about increasing. So for example, I mentioned there, you know, I want to run my single separately. But if I had a single and I knew a you that was in pregnant with a single and a condition scored her in that final month of gestation and I was finding the shoes only in a condition score two then you can imagine that I will still make sure her feed is dense from a nutritional point of view. So bear that in mind, you know, you really just want to to manage that. And it's going to be your husbandry, your management, your observation that will really, really help you with that, uh, with that as well. Um, Some examples of feed rations. And again, this really does vary and it does vary, you know, based on the quality of the grain or the feed that you're giving them and and all of that. But a few things to think about would be if, uh, in late gestation this is, um, a pound of grain per fetus in a a daily ration Um, or if you're thinking of – uh, hay or pasture equivalent, four to five pounds um, of quality hay uh, or pasture. So that's what you're aiming for uh, then as well. So so thinking about those sorts of things. Um, and at the same time, you don't want to overfeed. You know, you don't overfeed. You, we, we talked a little bit last year about pregnancy toxemia as well. And again, that is where the you is in poor condition. The feed is uh, not as nutrient dense as it should be, and then the ewe basically sacrifices herself for the lambs, and then she will experience pregnancy toxemia, and you know, it's it's a it's it's really quite bad. So we'll do it. We'll do a, a podcast specifically on that just to help us understand that a little bit more as well. Other things you might get when we don't look after the nutrition here would be I mentioned the sort of small and weak lambs, um, Quality and quantity of colostrum, that would be another thing that's impacted when we've got poor nutrition, particularly in that final stage of gestation and late stage of gestation, poor milk yield, and then reduced wool production in the offspring because you've got fewer of those secondary or finer, secondary follicles or finer um, uh, elements of, uh, of, uh, of wool. Uh, So you want to get that happy medium, if you like. So really that that happy medium in those final stages of gestation, that's what we're we're aiming for. While we're on it, let's talk about managing our worm burden, particularly, again, in pregnancy, your you is experiencing a stress on her immune system. And again, in late gestation, given that she's needing very nutrient-dense food and she might be you know, experiencing other potential stressors, particularly, you know, from a point of view of pasture and and so on and quality of pasture in the middle of winter for us, for example. One thing to manage is worm control. So really thinking about starting now in late autumn, this is in Australia, late autumn, early spring, doing a fecal worm egg count. How are how are your ewes looking in terms of their worm burden? Now looking at it already and then thinking of what that could actually mean and really managing the potential worm problem in the lambs to be born. Remember, lambs are a little wor- worm hoover. Um, so... the the worm impact on them is very much based on how contaminated those pastures are. And of course, the pasture is going to be contaminated by the ewes themselves. So really managing that. And this is quite a critical time for us to manage our worm control, do our fecal worm egg count, and then having, if we need it, a pre-lamb drench. So for me, I will be increasing my fecal worm egg counts and what we're looking for is no greater than 200 eggs per gram uh if you if you see anything like that anything increased on uh, on 200 eggs per gram in your u mob or even an individual mob individual use then you really need to be thinking about managing that and managing that quickly because that is going to impact not just the you And her ability to deal with pregnancy and giving birth and then uh, lactating. But also bear in mind, it is going to impact the burden on the pasture that your lambs are going to be born into. And your lambs are going to start eating. We're going to have a chat. I know if you uh, have had some podcast listeners, thank you so much. Contact me and ask me about pasture management for lambing. So we're going to have a bit of a chat about that too in another podcast. So you know, watch this space for that one, and that will be um, helpful because, of course, one of the biggest issues we have to manage when we are in this um, this stage of you know, very final gestation, early lactation, then it is it is um, pasture and uh, trying to manage that as best we can, and of course it's. Particularly in the middle of winter, it's a huge challenge uh, for a lot of us, no matter where we are in the world, we, we do need to, and that's why one of the reasons why Andrew now lambs much later. Um, so I know when, I, when we grew up, we were always lambing in, in uh, this is Ireland, uh, Northern Hemisphere, lambing in December, December, January. Uh, uh, Andrew starts to lamb now in March. Uh, and, and, uh, and finishes sort of mid-April so and, and he finds he's able to lamb out on the pasture where in the past we would always lamb in sheds and indoors and a lot of almost all the lambing in, uh, in Ireland and the UK would be done indoors pros and cons of course the, the ewes often aren't all that fit because they're in sheds and don't get a lot of exercise and that's really quite an important factor when we're managing our ewes in uh, in pregnancy and uh, and late gestation. Just going back to that um, worm burden element we just talked about a second ago, it, it is interesting to look at the fact that um, when the fetus is growing, particularly in those late stages of uh, pregnancy, the demand that the fetus has, particularly for glucose, energy, and protein, actually also lessens the use ability to resist parasites. So she might be quite worm resistant. Early on in the year or throughout the rest of the year. Like I haven't had to drench my ewes all year. Amazing. No drenching at all in my ew mob. But again, this is, a you know, coming into lambing. This is a different sort of, this was a different time. So um, there's a a phenomenon that's uh, actually called peripartrymob partrient rise, and that's a, a huge increase in it, parasite infection. So again, wanting to watch that and just being aware that that view that has a temporary loss in that, um, in that resistance that she normally would have when we're facing those challenges uh, in this stage of pregnancy and, uh, and coming into lactation. For me, the other thing I'm going to do to try and, if I can, not drench again, would be, again, coming back to our feed. If we can actually increase the protein content of the ration during late gestation, the protein uh, higher protein rations can actually reduce egg counts in these these use in these late gestation use. So imagine if we could do that. So again, it comes back to that feed. Even though there is going to be that temporary, you know, reduction in resistance and immunity, then we can actually increase the protein in the feed. Whether it's through high protein pasture, high protein supplement, grain, lucerne, whatever it might be, then of course that can really, really help as well. So thinking about those those elements can really help. Uh, and, and of course, the, the less drench we have to use, the better. One of the things I noticed this year, having not drenched at all, is the amazing amount of dung beetles in my in my sheep's manure, uh, and I was just uh, really enjoying that all summer. We have some winter active dung beetles here on our farm, which is amazing too. Not as much because they're, obviously, they're, they're more active in those um, in those summer times, the, the type of dung beetles we have. But watch that on your own property, you know, do you see dung beetles different times of the year and knowing that when we drench, it does have an impact on that dung beetle population and, and you know, there's so many reasons why we, we want to try and reduce drenching. Um, notwithstanding the fact that a lot of us eat our produce so we want to try and, uh, and not do that if we can and of course it impacts the I, I, I actually haven't seen any research on this but I'd love to know if there is but I'm absolutely confident that it impacts the um, rumen it, it should must impact their their stomach and the, the biological elements in their stomach if they're being shoved chemicals down their throat particularly frequently. So interesting to sort of look at how we can increase the protein and then therefore use that to offset and not have to drench again. But again, management, husbandry, feed, nutrition, that's really where it's at. When we're talking about this stage, we often talk more about the lamb, I suppose, and, and getting you know lambs on the ground. But it's also good to bear in mind how nutrition also impacts on you mortality. Obviously, we know that ewes die during lambing or after lambing potentially as well. And what can make the biggest difference? Well, it comes down to managing nutrition. So if we can increase that nutrition condition score, our ewes, when they are in better condition score, they were much more likely to survive, particularly if, again, times are tough, there's stress, there's immunity compromised, whether the weather might be bad, they're, they're twin bearing or multiple bearing, all those sorts of things as well. So, mortality increases when we have a, a particular condition score of two or less than two during late pregnancy, and, and it really, really does increase um, huge um, a huge amount. So, we want to try and um, make sure that by lambing, ideally, our twin, our twin or multiple bearing ewes are like three or three and a half, and again, they have very good pasture, high nutrition, high protein. Um, singles are, I would still say three by lambing, um, and uh, and again, if we think about the weather then we try and provide some sort of protection for them uh, as well. Um, with older ewes, that's the other thing perhaps to bear in mind, and I know I've got quite a lot of, you know, 13 and 14-year-old old, old ewes, they would need to be fed better rations as well. So bear that in mind if you do have some, you know, girls who've been around the traps and, and really do do well every year and they're just getting a little bit older, I would still give them the VIP treatment. Chances are they're going to be carrying multiples knowing those girls anyway, but keeping their nutrition up and really trying to manage them as, as little VIPSs, very important sheep, <laughs> Um, and and, yeah, giving them everything you can give them. And, again, really making sure that they have – and they're in good condition score, they have unrestricted feed, and um, uh, and that, again, you you're, you're manage any sort of thing that might additionally compromise their immunity, like the worm burden and things like that. So really watching watching and, uh, and focusing on that for success. Let's talk a little bit about some micronutrients that might be particularly uh, useful and important for our sheep in these uh, in these stages as well. The two that are the main ones, particularly in late gestation, are selenium and vitamin E. So um, both of these can be associated with things like retained placentas, poor re- reproductive performance. Selenium is actually passed from the placenta to the fetus during late um, gestation, and. We- deficiencies in selenium and vitamin E can cause muscular issues like white muscle disease and muscular dystrophy in lambs. So again, providing free choice mineral mixes to your use or maybe even supplementing them through rations uh, can really help. And potentially, even if you want to, you can give particularly coming into highly vulnerable times, I do like to give injectable selenium. So that would be something to sort of think about to top up that you, particularly given the importance of selenium going through into that fetal development and bearing in mind that a lot of Australian soils are selenium deficient. So they may not be where you are, wherever you're listening from, but definitely a lot, of, a lot of the soils in Australia are selenium deficient and we do need to manage that in our sheep and they do need selenium and it is really important in uh, in late gestation uh, and early pregnancy to have that, uh, that selenium topped up. With the vitamin E in particular, this can be obtained in your sheep's diet through green feed and also through the germ of seeds, so the, the real core of the seeds. With vitamin E, it's not really stored very well in your sheep's body, so they do need a daily intake. Um, when they're If they're fed sort of just basic poor quality hay with a lot of green pick in it, that's when you might see them get deficient, or if they're on very restricted pasture, you might see them get deficient. Um, And this is where, again, you might have low lamb weaning weights um, and challenges with colostrum, in particular, with vitamin E. So you can give them a vitamin E in uh, the use, that is, an injection. It's an A, D, and E injection. But of course, the better way is just to think about giving them some green feed, or if if you're supplementing them with a bit of Um, uh, grain that can also help. My plan this year, I've been able to access some biodynamic lucerne uh, and I've tried my sheep on lots of different, um, I suppose, dry feed in the past, if that makes sense. So different types of hay. I've tried rye and lucerne mixed hay. I've tried clover hay. Def- they won't touch normal grass, hay unless they're really desperate or they just want to chew something for the sake of chewing something. But when I tried, I had a sample bale of this biodynamic lucerne and they loved it. And this would have been the end of summer. I tried another one and they loved it. And then the other day, Gary and I were moving our sheep down. I think, I can't even remember now what it was, we were moving sheep down could have been just before the pregnancy scanning. And we had a gate open into the hay shed where I had had the last bale of the biodynamic lucerne. And Gary said, what is she eating? The ewe had got in there into the into the hayshed. And I said, oh, it just must be lucerne on the ground. And Gary went in and, and hooshed her out of the, the shed. And the ewe ran out, as you would expect. Uh, and then when Gary turned around, the ewe was standing there, darting going to dart back in and she darted back in he's like she's crazy about that stuff I said yeah that's a biodynamic lucerne so uh, they love it and I talked to the grower of this uh, of this lucerne and uh I had even tried it with my calves as well and they really liked it they actually preferred it over uh, lots of different things that the calves had to eat they had different pellets and things like that and, and I was feeding them milk at the time when they had it and the calves went for that before they went for anything else. Uh, and this John, the, the guy who grows this particular lucerne uh, in uh, East Gippsland, he when I talked to him the other day about it, he said, "I get this feedback all the time. You know, the animals, there's the animals just love it, and it is very green. I suppose the point I'm making here is it's green feed. It's quite green, and." Um, it obviously has contains lots of nutrients and very nutrient debt. So I'm really going to try that this year. See how that goes. In the past, I've been using a non GMO grain for my, uh, sheep, my pre, pre lambing, uh, use and a couple of, uh, weeks into lambing using it, um, I'm really interested to try the the Lucent just as a comparison and just to see what happens. I think with the grain, the milk production is really good and really high, but then I end up with some mastitis and it's hard to dry those ewes off. And the grain obviously can mean that it takes me longer to introduce the grain to the ewes. So I have to do that slowly. And given that I don't want to feed them too much um, and be very inefficient as a farmer it's just a balance. It's just a hard balance. How can I get the ration up in the last sort of four to six weeks? And at the same time, you know, introduce it slowly. Anyway, big challenge. Hopefully that won't be the case with the lucerne. And I'm very interested to in try. And of course, as always, I'll keep it posted. I'll let you know how it go. And if it does make a difference, and if I do see, you know, the improvement, what I'm looking for, the, the high nutritional density, um, the, 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 particularly colostrum milk production, and then where I have lower, potentially lower instances of mastitis as well. That would be really nice. Cause that sort of gives me the best, the best balance. I do, I do worry about feeding grain. They love it. Of course they love the grain, but I prefer not to have to do it if I could. Um, hmm, so it's just one of those challenges. So yeah, it would be interesting to know what you do and how you top up your sheep, to uh, To keep their both their uh, nutrition, but also their um, uh, the that the, uh, the energy uh, up to them as well. So always very interested to see what other people are are doing and what works because that's how we learn, isn't it? How we can share share different stories and and different strategies along the way. Probably the other nutritional element or mac- micronutrient really is. Um, calcium to sort of look at that. So let's have a bit of an explore of what we need to really look at. Quite important, again, late gestation, our use requirements for calcium virtually double in this stage. And what we're really trying to battle here is milk fever. And milk fever is low blood calcium levels. And it's because of inadequate intake of calcium or failure to be able to use or mobilize calcium reserves that the actual you might actually have. Too much calcium could, of course, cause a problem. This is sheep, so we're always trying to get that Goldilocks effect, that perfect balance here, you know, because again, with, with selenium, you can have selenium toxicity. So just bear that in mind. So um, vitamin E not so much because again it's daily dose and it will probably just be sort of excreted from the body. But some of these things like selenium and calcium can actually be a problem, so we've got to get it right. So here again, listen to it. Um, legume hay for lactation, yeah, legume hay for lactation, and uh, a mix legume grass hay during. Gestation and what's legume lucerne. So again, really interested to see if this helps. Not that I've had um, milk fever in the past. Uh, I've had sort of inklings of it with my um, triplet bearing use last year, but never had to actually give them the um, uh, little liquid um, injection that you have to give them. I always keep it on hand. That sort of minbal. Uh, or min cal, I always keep those on hand. Uh, challenges here would be the grains, corn, barley, oats, very poor sources of calcium. Um, forages are generally higher. So when we have lucerne and clovers, um, are higher in calcium. Uh, of course, you can supplement your use with your free choice lick, um, dical phosphate, limestone um, kelp as well as a very good source of calcium and, and, um, you know, I'm a big rap for, for kelp and seaweed. Uh, so that can be, um, that can be really good. And, and, and you know, a, a lot of my use, like when I come in to, um, bring them in to do their drench or their, um, vaccinations for pre joint, pre lambing, I will also give them a drench of minkel, which is a kelp, a mineral kelp liquid supplement. Um, and I also give them um, in like, even in their legumes, I will add, or if I was doing the grain, I would add seaweed meal. So so actual uh, dry seaweed meal. And when I give them any licks now, they also get dry seaweed meal as well. So it's a good reminder just to sort of think about how beneficial that kelp is. And of course, you can't overdose on that. The, it, it's it's just such a perfectly balanced um, product. Um and you can get it in lots and lots of different places. Google it or message me if you're in Australia and you're not sure where to get it, message me. I can put you in touch with lots of different people who have it in a dried form. Vitek Organics is one, um, but there's lots of different providers. Um, but Vitek Organics is definitely one that, that when I get my Min Kelp, my liquid kelp from, that's where I, where I get it. Um, and again, give them a bit of a, a bit of a boost with that orally and, uh, and that helps them with that, with those elements there. So a few things for us to think about. How we can, I suppose, get prepared for what's ahead. Um, hopefully try and manage that as best, as best we can. It's also good perhaps to top them up with a bit of salt. No harm to give them a bit of salt. Um, they Mature sheep can actually consume about nine grams of salt daily. So that's huge. So, you know, how can we get that? um, uh, and ensure that they, you know, they've got that salt, uh, element as well. And of course that often has lots of trace elements in there, uh, too. So lots of things to think about there when we're thinking of, uh, getting ready for la- uh, lambing, but also what we can do now, what we can do now to make sure that the lambing is as successful as it possibly can be. And of course, there's more. (laughs) So over the next couple of weeks, we will have more Sheep Show podcast episodes helping us to get, particularly get this nutritional balance right. We've got one coming up, particularly focusing on those minerals for sheep and how we can manage that throughout their life cycle, but particularly, of course, in late gestation and uh, and pregnancy uh, and lactation as well. And lots more coming up to help us have a successful lambing season. You've been listening to the Sheep Show podcast with Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm. Please take a moment to share this episode via your podcast app, email, or via social media channels. Each share helps us reach listeners just like you who can benefit from our content. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, sheep well.